Today is our last day to spend together in the little book of Titus. And what I'd like to do is this Wednesday, for those of you who are able to be here, is to have a time where we reflect on what we've talked about, things we've learned, and especially ways that you may have been personally challenged and uh, steps of growth that you might have taken. Remember, it's about learning and living, so it's not only about uh, understanding facts or uh, knowing truths, being familiar with doctrines, but actually changing and growing, conforming our lives to those. And it's always encouraging to hear how God has worked in our hearts through his word, and I think it, is, it, is, uh, it, it builds up, it builds each other up, it encourages us together to hear how God has been at work. And so this Wednesday when we meet for our uh, prayer time and Bible study, we'll have some time where you can, you can share, you can give a testimony about what God has taught you. And so you might want to be uh, thinking about that, maybe read back over the book of Titus uh, here during the first part of the week, and I look forward to hearing your testimonies. And today we're going to be in Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3. One of the, the fascinating aspects of the natural world creation to me is how various elements in creation work together. And kind of, a, kind of a big word that I think of in connection with that is interdependence. Interdependence. So there are various elements in the natural world that depend on each other. And let me give one illustration of what I'm talking about. A few of us here in this church are acquainted with honeybees. Some of you are beekeepers, and I would say that I'm learning to be a beekeeper, doing my best. And I enjoy keeping bees, and maybe some of you do as well, because I like honey. I just love the taste of honey. But I also love to observe those fascinating little creatures. And right now, there are a lot of flowers in bloom, so the the bees are taking off. It looks like a, a major metropolitan city airport with the bees just streaming out of the hive and streaming back in, and they go out and find those those beds and fields of of flowers. There's hundreds and thousands of flowers, and the bees land on those flowers, and while they're on those flowers gathering nectar, their fuzzy little legs and bodies collect pollen. And they take some of that back to their hive to store up for themselves to eat later, but also when they move from one flower to another, they carry pollen, and it brushes off into another flower, and it pollinates that flower, which enables those flowers or those plants or even those trees to, to produce Uh, either to reproduce themselves or to produce fruit or vegetables or nuts or whatever it might be that 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 plant or that tree produces as as fruit. And so, so the bees depend on the flowers for their nectar and for their pollen to eat, and the flowers depend on the bees to pollinate the different flowers, which produces that fruit. And guess what? We have the... the the privilege and the benefit of eating some of that fruit, don't we? The fruit from those plants and from those bushes and those trees. And so we enjoy that as well. In fact, it's been said that without pollinators, we would not be able to exist because the plants that produce the food that we eat would not be able to do so. So the, the bees depend on the flowers, the flowers depend on the bees, and we depend on all of them, don't we? So there's this interdependence. And to me, that's an indication of someone who designed it all 
and brought it all into existence in a way that is so complex and so intricate that we just have to, to stand back and say, wow, what a great God who could design and create and bring into being all of this. And, and this interdependence is true in, in creation, but there's also a sense in which it is true in the church. And a healthy church includes an interdependence. We collaborate among people in churches and leaders who work with churches. There is a collaboration. We work together to get churches started, to help churches grow, and when needed, to help churches recover and revitalize and grow again. Now, it seems like the bees and the flowers cooperate pretty well. But we as people sometimes have selfish, prideful, independent hearts. And so we can have a feeling of independence and that we want to figure it out and we want to do the work ourselves. And we have to recognize there is this need for interdependence. There is this need for working together within and among the churches of Jesus Christ and in Christ's church building work. And this is a very important issue for us, for our church right now. And I want to encourage you to pay close attention to this text and what we see from it today and see what it means for our church going forward. So what we're going to see from these verses in Titus chapter 3 is a pattern for collaboration. And if you don't want to write that word out, just put working together. A pattern for collaboration in moving toward church health. And look with me at Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read starting in verse 12. Titus chapter 3, starting with verse 12. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I'm going to need to ask for some help here, I think, because my... Oh, there we go. Is that working? Nope, it's not. Um, I need some help in getting this to advance. Thank you, Lynn. Appreciate that. Remember why uh, Paul assigned Titus to stay there in Crete? He said in chapter 1, verse 5 to Titus, I left you there to set in order the things that are lacking. So the church, or the churches in Crete, needed outside help. And Paul left Titus there with several areas to work on emphasizing that they should not only learn right doctrine, but also work on living in a way that reflects what they believe. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Oh, there it comes again. I will state the points very clearly, and you should be able to get them. What's that? Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Appreciate that. So when we reach the end of the letter here, starting in verse 12, it kind of seems like Paul's just covering some logistics. Who's going where and signing off, saying, see you guys, 
But there's more to it than that. This closing, these closing comments from Paul, are part of the all-scripture, the all-scripture that Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3 that is inspired by God and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So there's, there's benefit here. There's instruction here in, in these verses. So there's more for us to discover and to apply. And as I studied these verses and I thought about them and I prayed about how they relate to Northridge, I do see a pattern here for us. And especially at, at this stage in the life of the church. And there's a reason that Paul's concluding words are included here and it is to provide a pattern for us. So this is a pattern for collaboration or working together in moving toward church health. So let's, let's look at it together. And this would be number one. So in verses 12 and 13, we can see, first of all, a pattern of accepting help from others. A pattern of accepting help from others. You see this in verses 12 and 13. Now we see both giving help here and accepting or receiving help. I want to focus on the receiving side. And notice with me how Paul, first of all, relied on Titus. He says in verse 12, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, and we'll talk about them in a minute, but he says to Titus, you, Titus, be diligent. The idea is do your best. Give your best effort to come to me at Nicopolis. So he says, when you wrap up your ministry there in Crete, Titus, I want you to make every effort to come and to be with me. Now, there may have been some, some ministry work they needed to, to talk through and all of that, but you know something? Paul actually had times in his life when he was at a low point, and different individuals encouraged him and ministered to him personally. So Titus was a helper to Paul, but he also had a personal ministry in Paul's life. And Paul relied on Titus and men like him to not only help him in ministry, but also to minister to him personally. In fact, listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, indeed, when we came to Macedonia, listen, he said, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears, and in 2 Corinthians 7, 6, he says, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, Paul said, I am down, I'm at a low point, comforted us by the coming of who? Guess who? Titus, right? So Titus helped Paul, Titus ministered to Paul, and Paul was open to the ministry of this man in his life. I mean, the, the great apostle Paul. He was not superhuman. He was open to the assistance of others and even the personal encouragement of others. And then we also see that, of course, Titus had been helping the church in Crete. So Titus was there as kind of an outsider. And he had come in and he had provided leadership and guidance and, and helped to, to produce some growth in this church in Crete. So he was not the permanent leader, but he was on site to lead them in making changes in order to be healthy, again, not only in their beliefs, but also in their practices. 
So Paul's relying on Titus. Titus was helping the church in Crete. And then you see those two names in verse 12, Artemis or Tychicus. The idea is probably that, that they were being sent now to come, or excuse me, one of them, so he says one or the other, one of them was going to come and replace Titus. So when Titus left, one of them would step in and carry on the work. And they would be, have a different personality, have different leadership skills, and, and provide the, the leadership that the church has needed in the next stage of their growth. So, so Paul didn't know which one at that point, but he's saying one of them is going to end up there and would be, again, a helper coming from the outside who would be chosen as the best one to help the church go through its next steps. So here you see all these different individuals, right? Helping the church, helping each other. There's one more example here of, of people accepting help. Uh, you see in verse 13. So Paul tells Titus that these two individuals were going to be passing through something they might have been carrying, Paul's letter to Titus. So these two names of verse 13 send Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste. So he says they're going to be passing through. And he says what I want you to do, and, and by implication the church as well, is to help them continue to move along in their path, on their journey, and doing ministry work. In fact, the terminology here is, is very interesting. Um, he's telling them, telling Titus that he should, should supply their needs. And on the receiving side, here you have Zenus, who it says was a lawyer, possibly skilled and an expert in Roman law. What do you know about Apollos? He was a very accomplished and capable preacher, wasn't he? So these are two pretty prominent men. These are individuals that now, maybe in some sense, you might think would be self-sufficient. Or they could have that, that mentality, that attitude. Hey, we, we've got it together. Uh, we don't need help. But Paul's telling Titus, hey, make sure these guys have what they need. So again, by implication, they would be receiving help. There was no concern about social status. There was no differentiation between being professionals or being blue-collar or anything like that. They're just all part of the work. Right? They're all engaged. They're all involved. So Paul would receive help from Titus. The church in Crete was helped by Titus, then by either Artemis or Tychicus. Zenus and Apollos received help from Titus and the church. So here we see help being received. These are individuals, and this is a church or a set of churches, who were accepting help from people that were not necessarily part of that group initially. And that's a pattern for us. As we collaborate and move toward health as a church is to accept help from others. And, and you know, it's just natural. Sometimes we have a hard time accepting help, don't we? It requires humility. And we all have to work at that and grow in that. It requires appreciation for the different gifts that people have. It requires openness to others' perspectives and opinions. And accepting help requires that we be willing to relinquish an attitude of possessiveness and ownership of ministry. We have to be willing to share the work of ministry with others, don't we? Now, we read Exodus chapter 18, and I read that for a purpose. Moses was doing so much as he made decisions 
and passed judgment on issues between the people of Israel. He was, was working so hard, he could not keep up with it. And there were people standing in line all day, all day, waiting for their opportunity to meet with Moses, share their question, share their problem, get his guidance, get his answer, receive his judgment. So, so the problem here was that, that Moses couldn't keep up with all the work, and it was very inefficient. In fact, it was actually harming. It was limiting the work that should have been happening among the people of Israel. And Jethro, his father-in-law, comes on the scene and he advises him. And he says, Moses, you can't do this. He says, you need to find some men of character and set them up with different levels of responsibility. And Moses, let them do their job. And the comment is that he made in Exodus chapter 18, verse 23, if you do this thing, and he says, he says and God so commands you, Listen, he says, you will be able to endure. He says, Moses, you'll be able to have a a long-term ministry. You will not wear out. You will not burn out. You will be able to endure. And all this people will go to their place in peace. The people will have their needs met. They will be ministered to. So there's enduring ministry and effective ministry and efficient ministry that is the result of that kind of approach. That's just an example for us of how when we get more people involved, it expands the opportunity for ministry and makes it so that everybody can stay engaged, not just making it through and finally you know, gasping across the finish line, but saying, you know what, we can, we can bear these burdens together, we can accomplish ministry more effectively, and we can do so within the strength that God gives each of us, and we all have a part in it. I heard of a fascinating example of this in not in church life actually uh, in a community not too far from here relatively speaking it happened back in 1988 there was a farmer in nebraska who had a problem his name was herman austri this farmer had a creek on his property and when it rained and rained a lot the creek would flood and during one season, it was raining so much that the, the, the creek was coming out of its banks and the water level was rising. And he had a barn that was in a, a lower elevation on his property. And if the water kept rising and it seemed like that's what was going to happen, then it would destroy the barn. So he was trying to figure out how he could move it to higher ground. His son designed a steel frame that would stabilize the building and provide handholds for a large number of people. And on moving day, over 300 people showed up. The building with the frame weighed almost 10 tons. But when they lifted together, each person only had to pick up a little over 50 pounds. So he designed this steel frame, attached it to the barn. Over 300 people came together from the community, friends and neighbors, and probably some strangers too. And everybody was able to put their hand on the frame around the barn and literally pick up the barn and carry it 115 feet to a higher elevation where it would be safe. So they were able to work together as many people and accomplish what one family could not do. 
They enlisted help. They designed a way for all those people to get involved. Jesus Christ is building his church. Isn't it incredible that he has made a way for all of us to be involved? Every one of us can get a hand on what's going on in the church. Every one of us should have a hand in what's happening in the life of the church. And, and we should do the same thing. We should not be elbowing people out of the way and saying, hey, I'm going to take, take care of this whole section right here all by myself because I can do this. No, we're saying, hey, let's, let's grab hold. Let me make some space. Let's all join in. And, and encouraging and welcoming people to put their hands into the work. And, and literally, building and growing a church is more than any of us or even a few of us can do. The work is too great. And we need help. And we need to be willing to accept help in this great work. Now, of course, we not only work together by allowing others to help us and accepting help, but each of us contributes to the health and the growth of the church by providing help as well. So we accept help, but we also provide help. And so, so the second part of this pattern that we see in verses 13 and 14 is a pattern of providing help to others. And this is where in, uh, in verse 13... Uh, Paul tells Titus to send Zenos and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. And we might think that that's just saying, uh, hey, just tell them to, you know, have a good trip and hope everything goes well. What's um, more than that? In fact, the, the word send in the original language means to help them by giving them the resources they need so that physically, materially, they have what they need to move forward and keep working in their ministry. When he says with haste, he doesn't just mean do it quickly, but the idea, again, is give it your best effort. Do your best to do this. That they may lack nothing, he says in verse 13. So find out what they need and provide it to the best of your ability. Now, you know what he's doing here? He's telling Titus, hey, you and Get people involved in figuring out what these two guys are going to need. They come, they spend a little time there with you, but they're moving on. They have more ministry work to do. And just figure out what they need, and, and the best you can, provide it. Just give them what they need so they can keep going and do ministry work. I want to show you an interesting text. Look over a few pages to the right to the little letter of Third John. If you get to Revelation, you can go back a few pages to 3 John. And this, this word of, of sending and helping in the original language is actually used repeatedly in the New Testament of this very thing. In fact, Paul actually asked churches to do this for him. He said, hey, I'm, I'm coming, and uh, when I come, send me on my way. So he's putting it out there saying, I'm probably going to have some needs, and I'm looking forward to you guys helping me keep doing my work. But here, here John uses it in 3 John, and look with me uh, starting in verse 5, 3 John verse 5. He says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers, outsiders, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey, that's the same phrase, same term that Paul used instructing Titus to help Zenos and Apollos. 
send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So it's not just for them. He says, you do this for the Lord. You will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become, look at it, fellow workers for the truth. He's talking about basically missionaries here. He's saying, hey, when they come through, you help them and give them what they need, whatever they need to provide for their meals, a place to stay. If they need help with other physical needs, clothing, sandals, whatever it might be, transportation, help them out, send them on their way. When you do this, you're doing it for God. And you actually become a fellow worker in the truth. You are participating in the work of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God allows us to participate in his work when we help other people move forward in ministry. Now look back in Titus chapter 3, and, and he says in verse 14, let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. This is the emphasis of the whole letter. He repeats this over and over through the letter. Learn, there it is, right? Let our people learn to maintain good works, to live. And here, the way he's saying to learn and live is to figure out what people need and to help them. And he's probably talking here not just about general needs, but specifically people who are moving forward in ministry. Helping them, providing for their basic needs so that they can do ministry work. And, and this, this challenges the mindset that people doing ministry work should only support themselves. What this provides for us is a pattern of God's people together contributing to their material needs, helping them, relieving them from that need so that they can give their time and give their effort to ministry work. We should be willing to provide for the basic needs of those who devote themselves to ministry work is the principle here. Now, let me show you something. Look with me at another passage of Scripture. Look at, look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you think about the concept of financial giving in the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, there are several passages you could go to. As I have studied that topic and taught on it and preached on it, I've arrived at Philippians 4 as being the key New Testament passage on giving financially toward gospel work. And here it is. So Paul says, starting in verse 10, Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, but I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and hungry, abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul says, you know what? On my side, he says, he says I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm willing to, to have basic needs not met. He says, I'm okay with that. But, verse 14, you, he says to the, the, the Christians in Philippi, have done well that you shared you familiar with the, the Greek word koinonia? What does that mean? Anybody know? Fellowship, right? Participation. You have fellowshiped with me. You've participated with me in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church 
fellowshiped. No church participated. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. There's what he's talking about. But you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. He says, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He says, now my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And to God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's, he's expressing thanks, but he's also commending them on their practice of giving to support his gospel work. Giving to support gospel work is a form of participation in, in the church and in God's work. It is an eternal investment. He says that in verse 17. He says, I want fruit that's going to abound to your account. And it is also a form of worship to God. So, back to Titus. Paul called on Titus and probably the people of the churches in Crete to do their best to provide for the basic material needs of those two ministry workers so they could carry on with their gospel work. As I have come to know you and observe this church, I know that over the past year you have developed a desire and a plan to give financially to support some individuals who are doing gospel work. You want to support missionaries. And I just want to say, praise the Lord. Amen. That's exactly what this is about. Right? You are doing that. And I I encourage you in that. I commend you for that. But this is also a motivation for our church to become healthy and strong and to grow and to flourish even more so that we can provide even more. So that even more gospel work can take place. In other words, you can support more individuals who are taking the gospel to people and places that need it. That's a reason to grow. I encourage you to keep this in view as you consider steps to take in the months ahead. But then I would also encourage us to cultivate a mindset of of not doing the least we can to support gospel work, but as Paul told Titus, do the best you can. Give the greatest effort to who and what you can support in doing ministry work. And the result is, as he says in in Titus 3, he says that you will not be unfruitful. It's a double negative. So status quo is just staying the way you are and not bearing fruit or not bearing as much fruit. He says, hey, get involved, participate, contribute, help these guys out, send them on their journey. And the result of that is that you will bear fruit for the glory of God. Just as he said in Philippians 4, fruit that abounds to your account. So look beyond the immediate need for growth here. Pray and serve and grow so that you become a church that not only receives but also gives help, that supports gospel work and gospel workers to be fruitful and bear much fruit through more and more people hearing the gospel and being saved and, and in eternity filling heaven with voices of praise and glory to our Savior. As we think about working together toward church health, we realize that what Paul and Titus had and these other team members was not like a project team 
in a business. This was not a group of people that, let's say in our day, met on Zoom or met in a conference room or each worked in their own offices and got together and kind of did business and then kind of went home and they were done. These people had more of a personal connection than that. And that's what I find in, in this last verse especially of Titus chapter 3. So this pattern for collaboration and moving toward church health includes a pattern of warm relationships, a pattern of warm relationships among all. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now is he just signing off? Is he just kind of wrapping it up? Well, I would say that these words include a personal, caring tone. I would describe them as inclusive rather than exclusive. The first word in verse 15 is all. Everybody here, Paul says, and the last word before the amen is all, isn't it? And, and I think he means it. I don't think he's just, just trying to say something that sounds nice. Paul is genuine here. So he, he's saying, I, I, I send greetings from all and I wish for grace for all. Everybody there. So it was inclusive rather than exclusive. His closing words are personal, not impersonal. The people here say hello to you and, and give my greeting to the people with you. Right? He cared about them. He communicated it. He was not just concerned about organizational matters or even just fixing behavior problems or correcting wrong doctrine. He did address problems. But he wanted these people to know he was thinking about them personally. So it was inclusive, not exclusive. It was personal, not impersonal. It was also affectionate, not just functional. Look at how he describes the people that he's sending greetings to in verse 15. Those who love us in the faith. Now, that seems a little backward. We might expect him to say, the people that I love. But he is aware of their concern and their affection for him. The word love here is based on the Greek word phileo, which describes love in general, but if there's a, a distinction to it, it's the kind of affection that family members and close friends have with each other. It's an affection. So he's saying, you know, I know that there's some people there who, who truly care about me. They have an affection for me. And Paul knew that. Do the people that you minister with know that you care about them? Would the people that you're on the same team with say, you know what, yeah, that, you know, I know we're supposed to love each other, we're supposed to do the agape thing, that self-sacrificing love, unconditional love, but you know what else? I know that they actually have an affection for me too. They like me. Would they say that, like Paul was able to say about these people? And then it was based on a spiritual bond, not personal like or dislike. Notice he says those who love us in the faith. He's talking about the fact that this is what binds us together. The faith that we have 
in Jesus Christ. We may have differences, but, but this, this warm relationship was based on a spiritual bond being united by faith in Jesus. When we gather as the body of Christ, we have differences in personality, differences in preference, but we lay those aside for the unity of the faith. Paul calls us in Ephesians 4 that we would be growing toward the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So this affection is based on a spiritual bond, not on whether we like or don't like somebody or have differences with them. Then, of course, he ends with grace be with you all. He truly desires grace for them. The favor and blessing of God for every person there. Not just those that agree on everything or that we enjoy being around. Believers who are warm toward each other want the best and want God's best, God's undeserved favor for every other believer that you're connected with in the ministry of building up the church. And you can notice a progression here too. So he says, greetings. So here's what this warm relationship looks like on the surface. Greetings. There's a kindness. There's a, there's a care there, right? Truly wanting to greet other people. What is it based on? Love, the heart level affection we have for them. And from where does it flow? The grace of God. Not because we deserve or they deserve anything, but because of God's undeserved favor. God has made a way for us to be in His grace, to be in His favor. By providing a way for your sins to be taken away. And he did this when he sent his son, Jesus, to live in this world. And his plan included the death of Jesus by crucifixion where he paid the full penalty for your sins so you could be forgiven. And we can be made right with God by accepting this as true. And placing our trust in Jesus as the one who died for our sins and rose again. And then we are welcomed into fellowship with God. But that not only unites you to God, but it also unites you to each other. We are united with each other by grace. And just as you are accepted by God, you should accept all the others who are accepted by God. It's like we look around at each other. And say, wow, we're going to heaven. We're saved. We ended up on the, on the same path. How'd that happen? How surprising. I'm surprised I'm here. Are you surprised you're here? Yeah, we're surprised. Well, let's enjoy this journey together. And wish and want grace for each other and help each other along the way. And it goes beyond just, just being friendly, Right? I won't have you go there, but Paul in Romans 14 is challenging the Christians who have differences with each other over some pretty important choices and personal convictions. He's exhorting them about how to work through that. And as he moves into chapter 15, he says this. Listen to Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 5. He says, Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, According to Christ Jesus, listen, 
that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the ultimate purpose. We are united so that we can give praise to God. Therefore, he says, receive one another, just as Christ also has received us to the glory of God. That's the natural status for Christians. Receiving, welcoming, embracing, loving, having affection for as brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you say that you have a genuine affection for all the brothers and sisters God has brought together in your church? And would all of them know it by how you treat them, how you speak to them? What about new people? Do you hold back your affection? Do you expect people to put in their time and prove themselves before you're kind to them? Before you initiate conversations with them. Before you open up your conversation group. Your friend group. And and welcome them. Will you treat them as Christ has treated you? Receive each other, he says. The way that Christ has received you. Warm relationships among Christians are one of the ways the watching world learns about the love of God. Right? So what will unbelievers learn about God from the way that you and I treat other Christians? This is very important for us to be aware of. This pattern is essential for us to measure ourselves against. So let me ask you some simple questions based on what we've just seen. How open are you to receiving help? How open are you to accepting help? How involved are you in giving help? And would you view yourself as a warm Christian in your relationships with others who are helping the church grow and become healthier and move forward? I'm exhorting you to resolve, if needed, to change your attitude. Change how you treat someone. Do your part to make Northridge a church of people who grow together, serve together, and welcome others to help us to do that so we can be a healthy, thriving church that glorifies our Savior, Jesus Christ, because that is why we're here after all. Uh, Let's bow together just for a minute. And uh, I'll have a word of prayer. And as I do so, I'm going to... um, Uh, We'll have a song, and I'll ask our uh, deacons to prepare to serve the Lord's Supper to us. And so just use these minutes to focus your heart on our Savior and maybe think about the things we've talked about and give thanks to him for all he has done for us.